The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Lord, be on my mind, be on my lips, and in my heart. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I have no relations with a man? The angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age. For this is the sixth month for she who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. The angel appeared to Mary to announce God's plan of salvation and to get her permission to be totally involved, body, soul, and spirit, to change her life, to give of her life, to allow Jesus to be born. Her yes, we give thanks for, for it became the beginning of our salvation in Christ Jesus. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and as you may know, we've been going through the different parts of the Mass and having a series of four teaching Masses. The first week of Advent, we did the introductory rites. The second week, we did the Liturgy of the Word. The third week, we did the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And today, I will cover the Communion rite and the final uh, conclusion, concluding rites. The communion rite begins with the Our Father. After the great amen is where we finished last week, the Our Father. Now, you know the Our Father well, and there's many things we could say, but I'm going to say this one thing. Why do we have the Our Father in the Mass at this particular point? Could be many reasons, but one of the reasons that the church believes is because of the line, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you're a, a, a grammatist or someone who studies grammar, I'm not, obviously, because <laughs> I don't think that's a word. 
day, give us this day our daily bread is somewhat redundant. The translation daily bread is an awkward translation of a Greek word that was newly invented for the scriptures. I'm not a Greek speaker, but the word is epiousis. And it comes from two words, epi and osa. Epi means super or above, and osa means substantial. And so it is true that outside of the Bible, original gospels were written in Greek. Jesus didn't speak Greek, Aramaic probably. So Jesus must have used the word that the Greek uh, gospel writer, Matthew and Luke, translated into this new Greek word that was not known. They made it up. They created it. And so the translation would not really be daily bread. It would be something like supernatural bread, something like super substantial bread. The belief is, and it does agree by the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Paragraph 2837, if you want to look it up, from the earliest days, the church saw that Jesus was referring to not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs, and referring to something more like the manna in the first covenant that he was to establish in the Eucharist. And just like in John chapter 6, Jesus talks about the manna come down from heaven, that he is the bread the true man come down from heaven, bread for our journey. And just like he was to establish the Last Supper, already in the Our Father, he is preparing us for this great gift. And so that's probably one of the reasons why the Our Father is at this point. And then after the Our Father, the priest says something that I want to elaborate on because it's always shocking every time I read it the priest elaborates on the last petition of the Our Father. And he says, Deliver us, Lord, from every evil. Graciously grant us peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be free from sin and safe from all distresses. We await the blessed hope in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The priest is expanding on the last petition. Deliver us from the evil one would be the more proper interpretation of the Our Father. It is important to recognize that we as Christians need to be saved. Right? Sometimes we overlook that. We need to be saved from two things, which are really the same thing, the evil one and sin. And they both seek to kill us, to destroy us, to imprison us, to enslave us. But there is nothing to be fear, and we cannot be kept down or held back if in Christ Jesus we accept his salvation, his forgiveness, and he frees us from evil, and he frees us from sin. Does that mean we will never sin? No, but it does mean we should not be a slave to sin. We should not be so dominated by sin in our life that it possesses us and controls us. God sets us free from that slavery of sin. He delivers us from evil in Christ Jesus by the victory of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So we are to live as children in that freedom by his power, 
Yes, from time to time we fall, sometimes even often, in sin. But there's always freedom to get up, to be forgiven, and move on. It does not dominate us. And then it says that we may be free from distress. How about you? How many people live a stress-free life? Pretty, it's a tall order. But it's an important thing to meditate upon. It is true that Jesus Christ already won the victory. He will come again. We wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior. He will come in power and glory and establish the fullness of his kingdom. And all of us who are working for the Lord and have given our lives to the Lord will be fully a part of his victory. And so there are stresses in our world, but with faith we should never be overcome by the stresses, because no matter what happens, God's going to work a way out. And so Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened labor. My yoke is easy, my burden light. And Jesus and the priest in this, this part of the Mass is reminding us. And then the response is, for the people, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Oftentimes, other Christians, non-Catholic Christians, include that part as the Our Father. But technically, in the earliest manuscripts, it was not part of the Our Father. But in our earliest records, it goes back to be part of the Mass even before it entered into the manuscripts. And it comes from King David, right? Jesus is the king established the kingdom, descendant of King David. And King David, when he's talking to his young son Solomon, who will take the throne, is reminding his young son, hey, it doesn't all depend on you. God is the king, and his is the power and the glory. And so it's his kingdom. Same thing, trust in him. And let go and let God work through us. And so this particular passage got added into the manuscripts, right? The manuscripts of the sacred scriptures were copied every 50, 60 years by scribes. Around the 4th or 5th century, this passage got entered in after the Our Father and some of the manuscripts. We don't know why for sure, but the likely reason is because the scribe was so used to saying this as part of the Mass. And it ended up in the King James Bible, and so many Christians say the Our Father with that ending. After that, we have the kiss of peace. The priest said, peace be with you, offer peace to one another. Very important. God gives us peace. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, said to the disciples, peace I give you. At the Last Supper with John, he said, I will give you peace, not like the world gives it. The peace that we're talking about that God gives us is more called shalom. It is a deep peace that is within us even when we are in great trouble. That's the peace that God wants to give us. And also giving each other peace before we come to the altar reminds us of Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, if you've got something or your brother has something against you, and I would assume sister too, Leave your gift at the altar. Go reconcile with your brother or your sister and then come back. And so it's a beautiful gesture before we come forward for communion. At that point, the priest breaks the host. 
And then, I don't know if you noticed, but he takes a little piece of the broken host and drops it in the chalice and makes the sign of the cross. And what he says is, may the mingling of this body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring eternal life to all who received it. That practice started at the ancient days of when the Mass was first celebrated by the Pope. What he would do is take a piece of the Eucharist and give it to the deacons, and they would take it to other churches that could not come to the Pope's Mass. And that would show communion, the one Catholic universal church in union with the Pope. But over time, that practice stopped. But the spiritual interpretation that we still preserve is that the breaking of the bread symbolizes the death of Christ and then the reuniting of the body and blood as the priest drops the host into the cup represents the resurrection and our sharing in eternal life. Then the next part of the Mass, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we mentioned earlier, Jesus is the true Lamb of God, right? This Eucharist is patterned on the Passover. The Passover foreshadowed the true Passover, the Eucharist. And Jesus is the true Lamb of God, and the bread is the true manna come down from heaven. John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus first walks by, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're recalling to mind those words. And then we say, blessed are they called to the supper of the Lamb. This comes from the heavenly liturgy in the book of Revelations. Chapter 19, verse 9. And the real phrase is, blessed are those invited to the marriage supper or the marriage feast of the Lamb. Right? This is my favorite image that I like to talk about. This Eucharist is a marriage, right? And just as husband and wife give themselves to each other, body, soul, and spirit, in their most intimate moments, God is given himself, body, soul, and spirit, in this Eucharist and inviting us to take it into ourselves in the most intimate way. And what happens? The two become one, like a married couple. And they make each other a better person. But we're becoming one with Christ who is already perfect. And so it perfects us. And so, blessed are they called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Another important scripture passage that calls to mind for me is in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, when it says, Jesus says, I knock at the door. And if you answer and open the door, I will come in and dine with you. Right? We don't know for sure exactly what Jesus means, but we think the Eucharist. This is an invitation to be intimate with God as Moses ate with the Lord on the mountain. Let him into our hearts. And then it says, Lord, I am, the priest will say, Lord, you respond, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I've had people share with me that they don't like to say that. They don't like to say, Lord, I am not worthy. And I can relate to that. We are made worthy by God. We are children of the King, reconciled to God our Father who loves us and gave his life for us. We are tremendously worthy and valuable. But yet, at the same time, 
who are we that God would really join our humanity when we had sinned and turned away? So it's also true that we are not worthy to have God come and visit us, to enter under our roof, but he does. And this phrase represents and comes from Matthew chapter 8, when the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal one of his servants in his house far away. And Jesus starts to go, and the Roman centurion says, no, don't go. You're a man of authority. I recognize that. I, too, am a man of authority. Just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. And so we reflect that same faith, that simply God's coming into our world and desiring it will heal our soul. And then we come forward for communion. This is, again, that intimate moment where we truly become one with Christ. And just like a married couple have that moment, I like to teach married couples when I'm preparing them that that's like a renewal of their wedding vows. If you're married in church, you come forward down the altar aisle and profess your vows with one another and then receive the Eucharist. We marry each other, but we also marry the Lord. And the Lord's marriage helps our marriage come better, and our marriage helps our marriage with the Lord become better. And so if you've done that, but even if you haven't, imagine yourself on your wedding day coming up the aisle to be one with your spouse. As you come forward, think about things like that. Pray. Try not to watch one another, see what they're wearing. <laughs> and as we come forward, also... It is actually the most basic thing the Jewish people did in their sacrifices, the Passover and others. After the priest or the father of the house would sacrifice the offering, then people would eat of it. And that meant that they were sharing and receiving also the benefits of that sacrifice. And so this is our most ancient, most intimate moment of the Mass. We come forward as if on our wedding day and receive in a very intimate way God in the Eucharist. It's appropriate, I think, to talk about a few practical things. How do we really receive the Eucharist? It is our tradition, and it's a good practice, that as we come forward to make a slight bow or some form of reverence to recognize the true presence. When the priest says the body of Christ, our response is amen, which means as you have said, so it is. And then... The priest wants to give you the Eucharist either on the hand or on the mouth. One thing we do not do, and you know, some people do it, and it's just a matter of education. We don't take. We have no right to take salvation. It's a gift from God. And so if you're receiving on your hand, put out your hand, and it's best to put one hand on top of the other so that the priest doesn't get confused because we priests and ministers are easily confused to make a cradle, like a throne, or a manger, representing how Christ was born into our world and wants to be born into our life. Make the cradle, receive the Eucharist, and then consume right there on the spot. If you receive on the tongue, that's fine too. The reason why I ask we receive right there in front of the presence of the priest or the ministers is because it's you don't want to walk around with something so precious. You want to receive it as soon as possible. But also, on a practical matter, 
Sometimes, very rarely, and I've never experienced it myself, some people do try to take a host from church to desecrate it. And so we have to be a little careful. And it is true, and I have experienced this, that once in a while we find hosts on the floor in the back of the church because someone hasn't recognized the great gift it is. And so I, our ministers are taught to kind of watch, to, and we ask you to consume immediately as you receive it. Finally, not finally, but then comes the moment after communion. This is a very sacred time, a time of quiet prayer. The music is going usually to help us pray, but if truly God has given himself one to be one with us and in us is with us in our most intimate moment, we're invited to just allow God to dwell in us. A lot of times we pray with words, but in the end, the greatest prayer, I think, is having God's love in your heart beyond words. And it's a time when God becomes one with us and he wants to shape our heart and bring it to himself. And so just to stay there in love after an intimate moment, you want to just be in each other's presence and enjoy that love. I like to recommend, have you ever been really a good friend with somebody or in great love and you can sit together and feel each other's presence and be nourished by it without even words? That's the type of prayer that we're trying to do at this time. Another image is when God is the potter or the artist, and you know, you put some clay on that round wheel, and a lump of clay is like our hearts, and it's out of shape and sometimes hard. You put water on it in the hands of the master, make it into a beautiful creation. That's what God's trying to do with us at this time of the Mass, an important sacred time for quiet prayer. And then finally, the concluding rite. We end the Mass the same way we began. We all stand, the priest says, the Lord be with you, and then the priest commissions us to go. Being sent. To be sent is an important part of our faith. In my life, a lot of times, I've spent most of my time receiving, being strengthened by God, but there comes a time, and for all of us, that God strengthens us and shows us his love so that we can go and be Christ to others. And so just like Jesus said at the Last Supper, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. We are being sent as a community. And so now this is the final part I would like to share. This sending is really important. And sometimes people leave Mass before that sending. But the whole Mass, the word Mass comes from the Latin phrase, ite misa est, right at this point, which means go, you are dismissed. So that ite misa est, misa becomes the name of the Mass. Now it was probably done in folk and popular devotion, but the church accepted that name. Because in a way, the whole Mass is about being strengthened to be sent into the world. And so this is a commissioning. And we're to go out as church and be Christ for others. It's a public witness. We come together as a family around Christ so that others may see our faith and be inspired by it. 
I have to share a story. You know, a while back we had our call to renew campaign where a non-Catholic professional fundraiser was assigned to our parish and worked closely with us. One of the things he said after being around many Catholic parishes, he says, you need to talk about this at the homily. Because if you wait till after communion, now the, don't get me wrong, the bishop said do it at the homily too. That's the real reason why he did it. But the fundraiser said, in my experience, most Catholics leave right after communion. <laughs> what a bad or sad witness that is to someone who is non-Catholic. And what kind of a witness is that really to people who may be present, coming for the first time, or our youth? I don't know. I know sometimes you really do have a place to go, and it's understandable. But if that's our regular practice, what does it say? It says, well, I really didn't want to be here. I got somewhere better to go. But if this is the source and the summit of our life, we should want to be here fully to the end and leave as church. I know in my life, a long time in my life, I came to Mass out of duty or obligation. And I bet some people do that right now. And that's good, especially not coming. But that is not the final goal final goal is to want to be here, to recognize that Jesus is so powerfully present and strengthening us with his love and in the community of one another, that it sends us out and gives us strength for the whole week. And so if the Mass is not yet that for you, pray that it will be that one day, that miracle to recognize that this is God strengthening us for mission. And as we go out then together, we sing our joyful praise, giving good witness to the world and have a chance that way to talk to others as we leave. You know, sometimes God speaks to us through others, not necessarily through the Mass. Sometimes it's been those occasions that have helped me the most. Someone who invited me to a retreat or an occasion or gave me a book. And so... God wants to strengthen us and send us. We are together receiving him in the most intimate way, not only to strengthen us, but to be a witness for the world. Let us continue to be that witness that Christ has called us to be.